Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to, to all of our dads and to those who have been fathers to us throughout our lives. It's good to worship with you today at WPC as we continue our series on beloved hymns, How Can I Keep From Singing? A reminder, today is our last day to complete the hymns survey to see what hymns are beloved to all of you. Uh, for ones that we can include in this series. So um, you can find that on in, in your email, your weekly email, the newsletter uh, on our Facebook page, uh, or just find me after the service and, and uh, I can get you set up as well. I uh, want to get input from as many of you as possible because I'm not picking uh, most of these. Uh, the, this is solely uh, from the input of, of uh, you all for, for the... Um, bulk of this series. So um, right now, uh, Here I Am, Lord, is off to a commanding lead. And so that'll be our hymn next week if you're, if you're curious. But uh, there's, there's tight competition for, for uh, the remaining eight or nine spots that we have. So, so I do hope to get your input there. Um, so as I said, most of the hymns in the series are going to be chosen by you. But there were a few hymns I picked uh, for particular days and seasons, this one in particular uh, being so early and waiting to get all of the input from you all with the survey. Uh, with Father's Day today, I thought we could take just a moment to reflect on God as Jesus referred to him, as Abba, Father. While we understand that the all-powerful, all-loving God revealed to us by Christ transcends gender, a common way people of faith have described the love of God towards us is in parental terms. The Bible, Old and New Testaments alike, use both mothering and fathering language to describe the ever-transcending love of God. Our hymn this morning, This Is My Father's World, emphasizes and captures this relationship as well as God's articulate care of all creatures and creation. In our first reading from Job, in his whirlwind encounter with God, Job gets a bird's-eye view of creation and the cosmos and sees how God lovingly cares for the intricate details of existence. In our second reading, we'll see Jesus continue this discussion of how God, our Father, feeds the ravens, clothes the lilies and grasses of the fields, and ultimately provides us what we need and will one day joyfully give us the kingdom. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 22nd verse. He said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Maltby Babcock was a Presbyterian minister who penned the words of our hymn today as a poem early on in his ministry. Babcock was something of a Renaissance man in his time at uh, the late 19th century, early 20th century. He was a noted musician, writer, athlete, outdoorsman. His first call in ministry after seminary was to pastor the First Presbyterian Church of Lockport, New York, which is a picturesque area between Lake Erie and Ontario, Lake Ontario, near Niagara Falls. So it was a perfect place for an outdoorsman like Babcock. Author of Then Sings My Soul, a book about uh, the stories of beloved hymns, uh, Robert Morgan, the author of it, notes that while pastoring in Lockport, Maltby would frequently go on a hike, walking miles into the hills and countryside surrounding the town in order to lose himself in nature. Whenever he would go on one of these walks, he would tell the church secretary as he was leaving that he was going out to see his father's world. Going out to see his father's world. During this pastorate, he penned a 16-stanza poem, each one beginning with, This is my Father's world. You can just imagine the rich spiritual life Babcock must have enjoyed during these walks into his Father's world, which inspired the poem we now know as the hymn. It's a little unclear, but it seems that he intended to keep these words to himself as he tragically died early in his 40s while traveling to visit the Holy Land. It was only after his death in 1901 that his wife submitted his writings to be published, most notably this poem, which a decade or so later inspired Franklin Shepard to turn some of Babcock's prose into a hymn set to a tune he learned from his mother as a child. This hymn, Babcock's reflective prose at first glance sets a tone conveying the beauty of God's good creation. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand, his, the wonders wrought. Creation is something to take in and behold. That is what Babcock's nature walks into his father's world bear witness to. When we are out in our Father's world and God's good creation, we can see and witness ourselves to the beauty and care God has instilled in each creature and each facet of creation. There's a delicate and a brilliant intricacy therein that you can observe. This, I think, is essentially the message Job receives in the whirlwind. After pleading for God to show up for 30-some chapters, 
to answer his questions about the tragedies and calamities he's experienced. And when God does show up, it's not to say sorry. Instead, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Instead, what God does is God gives Job a bird's eye view of creation, of the cosmos, to see the beautiful, beautiful intricacy God has established between every facet of creation, overseeing everything from rain and snow, lightning and thunder, to the ordinances of the heavens, to the prey of lions, the birth of mountain goats, the might of horses, and the flapping of an ostrich's wings, to name just a few. God essentially shows Job his small place among all these facets of creation that God so intentionally cares and provides for. I've met so many folks over the years who share with me their love of creation. Like Babcock, it's when they're in nature, when they're taking a walk in their father's house, that they feel at one with God. In one of my favorite novels about both faith and fatherhood, uh, entitled Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, an aging minister named John Ames writes a diary of sorts to his young son. At one point, his character writes something I believe really uh, hints at this message. He says, there are two occasions when the sacred beauty of creation becomes dazzlingly apparent, and they occur together. One is when we feel our mortal insufficiency to the world, and the other is when we feel the world's mortal insufficiency to us. This hymn, Job's Whirlwind, instills so much awe and wonder of creation. Yet, this hymn also reveals so much more than just a feeling or a sense of awe and wonder. It also implores a feeling of comfort and trust that God is ultimately in control of the cosmos, is ultimately the one who controls human history. This is expressed more in our last verse in the hymn. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. That the battle is not done, that the crucified and risen Jesus will be satisfied when earth and heaven are one. This idea of finding comfort and trust in God's rule over the cosmos, I believe, is the answer Job ultimately finds at the end of his whirlwind experience. But it's clearly more exp expressed more clearly, rather, in our second reading from Luke. Just before Jesus has warned a man about greed and in turn told a parable about a rich fool who thought his comfort and security could be found in bi building bigger storehouses and barns for his surprising surplus of grain. Now as Jesus turns to his disciples, he tells them not to worry about their lives, what they'll eat, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. He then gives some lessons from nature, saying God provides food for the ravens, clothes the lilies of the field and grasses. If God does all this, how much more will God provide and care for you? It's a reminder that God is present 
that God is active in creation, providing humans and all creatures, along with every piece of creation, what it needs. Now, to be clear, this is not an excuse to be apathetic towards caring for creation, as unfortunately some Christian leaders have suggested. Rather, it ought to empower us, to enliven us, to participate with God in allowing our Father's world to flourish for all creatures and for all time. Further, it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That's where this, our, our reading from Luke ends. Or as the hymn says, when earth and heaven are one. This is a God who not, only recognize, or who not only organizes creation and sets up the systems that allow it to function, this is a God who is both active and is ultimately in control of human history and the cosmos. When we take these two messages of the hymn together, of the wonder of God's good creation and God's control over it, the essence of the hymn becomes clear. When we stand in awe and wonder of our Father's world, we can glimpse God's good, providential, and loving care and rule over all the cosmos. We become more aware of God's goodness towards and presence with creation. It's an awareness best summed up with Babcock's signature prose. This, this is my Father's world. Last week, my family and I had the joy of being at the beach, and we had a wonderful time of rest, renewal, and recreation uh, together with, with our uh, extended family. Watching the waves of the ocean go in and out, the crabs come and peek up out of their holes, the graceful motion of the pelican spotting their next meal, one cannot help but have a similar experience of Job in the whirlwind or Babcock in his reflective walks bearing witness to the beauty of our Father's world, of God's care and rule of creatures and creation. At one point, we went to the local aquarium, where we saw all kinds of creatures of the coastal area, from otters and alligators to snakes and frogs to jellyfish, sharks, seahorses, and so many kinds of fish. When I stop and think of all these different creatures, of all these different habitats that God creates, redeems, and sustains, I cannot help but rejoice that this, this is my Father's world. Friends, may these texts and may Babcock's words inspire us to go out into our Father's world, to explore, to stand in awe, and see that God is present and at work sustaining all creation. May the sense of awe and wonder empower us to find ways to participate in God's care of creatures and creation. That all of God's creatures might join in singing these words together. This is our Father's world. May it be so. Amen.